Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. So passionate, in fact, that I went through the trouble of creating a five-step guide to help you unleash your inner activist. If you're curious, all you have to do is join our newsletter at caremorebebetter.com, and this activist guide will be your welcome gift. It'll appear in your inbox moments later, just for visiting our website, caremorebebetter.com, and signing up for that newsletter. Today, I am joined by someone whose passion for our natural world and the elimination of superfluous plastic parallels my own, and that's Greg Daly. Greg stumbled into the beauty industry by accidentally building one of the largest hair-related accounts on Instagram. Since that time, he has owned and sold a product company featured on the Shark Tank, co-founded an ocean cleanup organization, and recently started a hair care company called Sivar that makes disposable plastic-free hair care, and they even pick up ocean trash with every product that they sell. Greg, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) I'm thrilled that you are here. This is incredible. So quick uh, question for you. How do you accidentally build an Instagram account? Because (laughs) I think many of us struggle with just keeping up with that space. Um, My cousin and I, well, he started in Instagram in like 2012 um, on Instagram. He was one of like the first big fitness influencers on Instagram. He'd been in the army gained a bunch of weight after he got out and then lost it again Hmm. and kind of went through that journey on Instagram. And then he got really paranoid about everybody knowing who he was (laughs) and uh, started making kind of like meme pages basically on Hmm. Instagram. And at that time I was working in Hawaii. I was uh, selling solar panels in Hawaii and there were some issues with the utility, making it really hard for them to, to get them installed. So basically I didn't get paid for like a year almost and anyway, I come back to the States, or to the mainland rather, and uh, um, my cousin's doing this thing. He's doing really well, and we start talking about it. And then my son burns his hands. Like, he burns them wow. really badly. He puts both of them on a wood-burning stove while my mom had him. And uh, it was pretty bad. So we were in and out of the burn unit for like the next six months or so for wow. different surgeries and stuff. And uh, during that time, my cousin was teaching me how to build these Instagram pages. And we built, I built a couple, you know, based around my interests, like outdoor sports and um, extreme sports, stuff like that. And then one day he calls me and he's like, hey, there's this page about hair that's growing really fast. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's hair. Like, nobody cares. No, there are pictures of hair. He's like, I know, but look how fast it's growing. And they don't know about videos. I'm like, that's weird. And so literally we found a few videos on Instagram of people talking about hair and doing hair. There weren't, there was almost nobody doing them at the time. Wow. And we posted them and they just blew up. It was crazy. Like there was just so much demand, but they were so hard to find that we actually paid his neighbor a dollar per video to find these hair videos. (laughs) And they just started blowing up at a just 
crazy. Like tons of people were watching these videos and the pages were growing really fast. At one point they were growing like 50,000 followers a day. And uh, we got to meet all these hairstylists through it and got to be friends with a lot of these, um, like a lot of hair brands. And that's kind of how I stumbled into it. Like I had no idea. Like I joke that the only thing I knew about hair salons before I kind of stumbled into it was that song from Greece, beauty school dropout. <laughs> like that was it. I didn't, my mom didn't go to them. I didn't really know they existed. Yeah. Well, my sister is a hair, hairstylist and, uh, so I've had that integrated in my my life and my circle for a long, long time. I have friends who own salons and things like that. But I'm, you know, I prefer my hair short, but I'm a mom of two boys and I'm really busy. And it's <laughs> very challenging to keep up with when you have uh, quickly growing hair. So mm-hmm. you see a pull back now. I'll do the reveal in a little bit. Just uh, understand that I haven't had a haircut in a bit. So I'm not probably the best representation for having used your product. Given that this is not a beauty podcast, <laughs> so it's not a beauty product, in my opinion. It's a it's to clean your hair. It's a utilitarian product. I mean, people use shampoo and conditioner every single day, and I, for one, am a proponent of trying to reduce your waste in every way possible. So, you know, the fact that you've decided to attack this particular industry with a novel approach is, for one, for me, very very interesting and something I'm really curious to explore more. But before we get there, I kind of wanted to hear from you, you know, how you decided that this was going to be your next venture and and why? What are the roots behind it that really inspired you to do this? Yeah. So when I was uh, living in Hawaii, I got really into free diving and uh, it's basically scuba diving without a tank, if yep. you don't know what it is. <laughs> and uh, I went out almost every day. And one day when I was out, I see this plastic bag like jerking really oddly through the water. I'm like, what is going on? And then I look off to my left and I realize that that plastic bag is attached to a sea turtle by about 50 feet of cable or not cable, uh, fishing line. Mm -hmm. And it's just this mess of fishing line and plastic bags. And I swim up to the turtle, get as close as I can and cut it loose with my dive knife. And... I just sit there in the water, like looking at this bag and looking at, you know, all the pristine beauty. And I'm like, I got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I more or less did nothing besides choosing paper over plastic at the grocery store. And uh, as I got in the beauty industry, um, we moved from Hawaii to the Pacific Northwest. And kind of at that same time, I was getting involved in the beauty industry. And I went on this hike really one day down through this beautiful forest, gorgeous trees. And there were these huge tree stumps, just like incomprehensibly big. I don't know if you've ever hiked around in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, you have. You live in um, Redwood country. You know, you've (laughs) stumbled across these tree stumps before. Well, and I grew up in Southern Oregon, so I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just incomprehensibly big. You're like, this tree stump is like as big as a house. Older than the country easily. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, okay, that's bad. And then I walked down a little further and in Washington, along most of the Puget Sound, this freight line runs right up it. Mm. And um, it goes one way carrying coal up towards Canada and lumber down the other way. And I had to cross this right after seeing these tree stumps. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Like we're cutting down the forests, we're polluting the air. And then I get to the shore 
and there's plastic all over the beach. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this is my wake up call. And, uh, um, that's when I started doing some research on it at the time we owned a hair care company, so I couldn't start one, but I started doing research on like plastic free usage stuff. And it was a, the brand was specifically like a curl cream. And so it, it didn't, wasn't really conducive to solids. And so anyway, we ended up selling that brand and it was my chance to like really dive into a, I was going for plastic free, but the more research I did, I realized that most of the plastic free options, which are shampoo bars are great. They work great, but the application of it is kind of, it's leaves something to be desired, especially for like, if you're hardcore, you'll do it. But if you're like, let's call them an armchair environmentalist, you might not make that switch. Because a lot of people switched from bar soap to liquid soap for a reason. Bar soap has some disadvantages. It melts in your shower, gets slippery, it gets kind of gross sometimes. And so that's why I came up with um, these plastic bottles. They they are plastic, but uh, they're reusable, refillable. So instead of buying one bottle, using it once and throwing it away. In fact, about, what is it? I just wrote this down a minute ago. It kind of blew my mind that only 50% of people who recycle regularly from their homes recycle their bathroom trash. So most people don't even recycle the stuff in their bathroom because, you know, it's just inconvenient. They don't have a bin there, so they don't. And so it seemed like a really good place to tackle it based on, you know, my knowledge of the hair industry and plastic packaging is really when we talk about recycling, when we talk about reducing, like mostly what we're talking about is packaging. Yep. And something like 28% of all plastic waste that's produced is one is single use plastic. It's plastic packaging, I should say. Some of it might be used more than once, but almost none of it is. And so I really wanted to tackle that problem because even when we start talking about recycling, and this is something that really shocked me, I've been told my whole life, basically, like, you're a good person if you recycle. Recycling is what we do to make the world better. And, you know, I believed it. I believed that when I recycled something, I was doing something really good. As I really dove into the numbers, I realized that plastic recycling is basically a myth. It's a farce designed to help us to get us to buy more product. Because there's a reason that plastic recycle is last and reduce, reuse, recycle. It's a last resort. But if you watch any company talking about plastic, talking about what they're doing. They're like, we use recycled plastic. We help you recycle it. It's recyclable, blah, blah, blah. Recycle, recycle, recycle. Because nobody makes money on reducing and nobody makes money on uh, reusing. The only way they make money is if you recycle it and then you have to buy a new one. But the, the big problem is, is if you look at the numbers, like plastic recycling just doesn't work. And we've been, we've been told we just need to do a better job of recycling. But if we look at the recycling numbers for Packaging. I'm going to focus on packaging because that's mostly what consumers recycle. And we recycle 81% of our paper. So people are recycling. We recycle 31% of our glass and 35% of aluminum. People only recycle 13% of plastic. And of that, most of it doesn't get actually fully recycled. Most of it, well, about 25% of it gets discarded for being dirty or the wrong thing or all these things um, gets diverted back to the landfill. So a really small percentage of the plastic that we actually recycle gets made into new products. And so it's not really a problem with us not 
putting it in the bin. It's a problem of plastic being, well, recycled plastic, depending on oil prices, is usually more expensive than reused or than new plastic. It's also harder to work with when you're making a product with it. it virgin plastic just works better. That's because the fibers break down every time you recycle it. And even best case scenario, you take this bottle, you use it, you recycle it, and it gets made into something else. 60% of plastic is only recycled once. And then it gets downcycled into something or thrown away. Mm-hmm. I like to say that like recycling is good, but really all you're doing is throwing it away twice. So, well, and it takes energy to recycle it. It's an expensive totally. process to produce. There are some new technologies that are being developed, which Paul Hawken um, revealed in Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation, that include ways to incinerate plastic where there's no um, exposure to oxygen, so then the pollutants don't get back into the environment. And another um, technique which actually can make plastic like new And so it can be reused again. But again, these technologies are new. They're budding. They're going to take time to develop and scale. And we're just not there yet. And they're Um, probably expensive. And when we get to that point, like the the cost of those bottles, those are going to be so high that you don't want to throw them away. Yeah. And that's that's the problem, right? Like ultimately, it's going to cost more. So uh, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I think are critical to think about. One is that Plastic shampoo and conditioner bottles, generally speaking, they're the first virgin plastic. They're first, that's what they're made of. And they don't tend to be recycled. When they are recycled, they're downcycled into something else. It's not like they're really upcycled or recycled to something that's parallel or comparable because mm-hmm. it's considered a product for food or personal care. And the standards for that are higher. And so what it might end up as is, I don't know, maybe it's perhaps like the black plastic in these headphones or something to that effect. Um, But it's problematic to start with. And the plastics generally that are created and used for that are, they're thick. It's quite a bit of plastic. Thankfully, it's not single use, but you're talking about one life. It's essentially thrown away. It's garbage after. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, in a lot of Western countries that have well-developed trash systems, that stuff does get landfilled or burned. Most of it does. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of the world where most of the ocean plastic pollution comes from, they don't have those resources. And so like we think that our bottles are bad that get thrown away. But like in countries like the Philippines, most personal care products are sold in little sachets, little Mm -hmm. single-use sachets. And those things are um, multi-layered. So they're a mixture of plastic and aluminum. They're basically unrecyclable Mm -hmm. and they use billions of them a year. And these things in a lot of the communities, they just get thrown on the ground. And then they end up in our waterways and and fish mistake them for food and, and, and. Yeah. And so globally, 275 million tons of plastic are produced every year. It's mind boggling. It is. 99 million of those about go to coastal communities and 31 million tons a year are mismanaged. They're not properly disposed of. And that's why 8 million tons a year enters the oceans. Mm -hmm. And it really, like we focus a lot on the consumer, right? 
it's the consumer, the end user, like all of this has been pushed on the consumer and the end user to like recycle it, do better, dispose of it properly. But I think that's been, I don't, I'm pretty dang sure that it's been a calculated um, move by industry to shift that burden. Mm -hmm. And it really started in the seventies. Now, are you familiar with the crying Indian ad? I'm familiar with quite a few things like that. So yes, why don't you talk about it? Okay. Yeah. The crying Indian ad is just one of my, I think is my favorite example. It's this, it's this Indian. He's actually Italian, but you know, we'll leave that for another discussion, (laughs) but uh, he's paddling through this really polluted stream. Um, There's garbage everywhere. He gets out, walks up a highway and somebody throws some garbage on his feet and he cries a little tear and it says, Mm -hmm. people start pollution. People can end it. And it's this really good message. Like, let's not pollute. But the really interesting thing, I think, is it's paid for by this new organization called Keep America Beautiful. And Keep America Beautiful has been one of the biggest opponents of bottle deposit laws in the country. Mm -hmm. And bottle deposits are proven to be extremely effective at reducing garbage and increasing recycling rates. Right. Um. And it's because, like, so why would a comp or an organization that purports to be anti-litter be anti-bottle deposit laws? And it's because it's funded and run by a coalition of bottlers. Right. They and want so you to buy new bottles all the time. They want you to buy new bottles. Yep. It costs a lot less money to make a, you know, a one cent bottle out of plastic than it does to like they used to uh, get your glass bottles back, take them, wash them, refill them and ship them back. That costs way more. And so they want to use plastic. These big producers, plastic, cheap plastic packaging has been a godsend because it's allowed them to externalize a major expense of theirs, which was packaging. And basically they took the cost of their packaging and passed it on to the environment. Yeah, I mean, somebody's paying for it. This is a problem across the board. Now, thankfully, we do have some communities around the globe leading the charge. Like if you go to Germany, as a for example, and you spend time in Berlin with anybody who lives there, you'll see them gather their glass bottles for their soda waters and things like that and bring them back to the store and deposit them at the store. And then those bottles get refilled again and then enter the shelves again and are reused again and again and again. So they're not even wasting the time money, expense, uh, carbon footprint of re- of having to work through recycling of the glass bottles. Whereas here in the States, like I live in Santa Cruz County, I found out that my glass wine bottles, as a for example, if they break on the way into the bin or from the bin into the truck, whatever breaks is not recycled. And I, I mean, that just blows my mind. I'm like, well, but it's broken. Why? And it has to do with how it's processed on the collection side. And so because of the way all of these things are laid up and because of how poorly we handle it along the way, not only is that glass bottle never going to re-enter circulation in its present form, in the same form, it is going to have to go through the added expense of being re-melted down and then um, put into a a new shape or form and then and then and then as opposed to simply refilled. Right. And every step in that process... There's more carbon, Mm -hmm. there's more cost, there's more. It doesn't make any sense. It only benefits one person, and that's the producer of those products because they don't have to pay. It's cheaper to use plastic than it is to refill. 
that's really what it comes down to. And even in the case of glass, it's just it's cheaper to go ahead and recycle mm -hmm. it and charge the consumer for that cost as part of the package every single time. And it's not just the consumer that pays like it. The environment really pays, too. It's like they, they take that cost and they're like, well, you know, we don't really want to pay for the cost of properly disposing it. So we put it in the landfill The really the environment pays most of the burden. And that's it's catching up to us. We've used up all of, you know, in so many aspects, we've used up our savings account, if you will, on the environment, forests, carbon, all of these things we've used up because we've just been externalizing the cost and kicking that can down the road. And uh, we can't do it anymore. Well, the extractive economy is coming to a crumbling halt is what, what will ultimately happen. Eventually we run out. And hopefully we're smart enough to give ourselves a soft landing. Right. So I wanted to actually share with our community who may be watching this on YouTube or elsewhere, how I received your package and ask you a few questions about it, because I think it all relates to this work of trying to build uh, a company and a product that is regenerative and also that is really moving towards a more circular economy. Yeah. And so, I mean, all of these, all of this, I think is important for our consumers to consider as they're out there shopping for products, as they're thinking about the companies that they want to partner with, as we all work to vote with our dollars and become yeah. such a large consumer base that it becomes the normal way of doing business again, as opposed to supporting this extractive economy. And that's the power that we have as consumers. Right. We don't have power to change the packaging at once, but we have the power to vote with our dollars and choose people who are doing it differently. And that will force everybody else to change and it will be magical when it does. Right. So I'll bring two things up that relate to prior episodes that my audience may have already watched and heard. One is um, one that launched this week as we're recording with Anne-Therese Gennari. And the fact is that she's being, a, she's a proponent too of just reducing consumption, really thinking about the things that you bring into your home and how you use them and their life cycle and thinking about the fact of your trash bin, your recycle bin, all of your waste bins as essentially garbage because even most of what you end up putting in your recycle bin may not actually be recycled. And so many people are wish cycling items. They say, oh, it's plastic. I'll throw it in that bin. Oh, I got it at the grocery store. It's my greens bin and it has a recycling symbol on it. It has a chasing arrows. So right, my, my community is going to recycle that. Guess what? Most like most do yeah. not. Yeah, so totally. it's it's really problematic. Anyway, so here's the box. And I love the minimalism of this. This is just a standard cardboard box. It's about, I don't know, six by six by two and a half. So not a ton of material is used in it. Tell me about the logo sprayed on here. Uh, yeah, I definitely just made a stencil and take a little rattle little can little spray. <laughs> yep. That's great. So it's that's great. Very minimal. Yep. And then inside the box, you open it up, and I'm just showing everybody here. Looks like this, but on the top of the bottles is this card. And it says, Thank you. Your order picked four pounds of ocean trash. Which I think is amazing because it's quantifying for the customer base the impact that you're having with every shipment. 
And I'm sure that number varies. Like this one, you know, actually came with the plastic bottles. So your next one, might, yep. it might be slightly different. And then on the back, invite your friends and save. So you're essentially offering people an added discount on every order if they refer people, ultimately trying to build that networking effect into your business model, which I think is yep. smart. Good job. Um, and then there's just this... Uh, Crinkle paper. In this case, it's red and white. Maybe that's seasonal. I don't know. It is seasonal. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing I do know that in my area, this is not recyclable, but I, I did not know compost that. a lot. But you know, it varies by municipality. So if things are shredded or crinkled, they don't necessarily always recycle. It varies. And then these two bottles, one conditioner, one shampoo, just labeled on the front, shampoo and conditioner. Um, the texture of them is slightly different. I did actually just shower with them and quickly blow dried my hair because I wanted to experience it myself. So uh, the shampoo, this one's been used once. I like the seal on these. I did drop the shampoo in my bathroom and it didn't break. Good. Because <laughs> it's plastic. Um, conditioner. And um, same thing, a little creamier because, of course, it's conditioner. But they're in the bar form, which means you're not shipping the added water. There's not as much waste. And I got the sense using them that they would last a long time, particularly the shampoo. The conditioner yeah. is a little softer, so more of it might come. Um, but, like, my hair feels – I know I have it back here because I'm, I've got headphones on and everything. It's just very soft. One of my complaints with a lot of the natural shampoos and conditioners has been they feel like they leave – like either a residue on my hair or they weigh it down when there's a conditioner. I didn't get that feeling with either of these products. Like they felt really easy to use and the instructions on your site were actually really <laughs> sweet. So everybody watching this, you have to go and actually look. I might have to just play it at the tail end of this just so people see your lovely self in the shower and um, yes. doing the videos yourself, which is it's brave and audacious, and I admire you for for being that willing well, to put yourself you. out there. <laughs> yeah, that I was. Uh, I don't know. I just I wanted to get them done, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Well, let's just do this." And I had my wife film me, and uh, yep, <laughs> you're an entrepreneur. You got to exactly. do it all. I'm right? willing to do what it's. I'm willing to do what it takes because I don't really view. Seabar is a beauty company. Like I said, like it's pretty utilitarian. This isn't women's shampoo or men's shampoo or some nonsense like that. Our hair is all the same. And uh, um, I just want it to be, I want to take something that people buy every day that they, that has pretty big impact on the environment, really. If you start diving into a lot of the ingredients that are used in a lot of brands, and if you start diving into all the water they get shipped around, your shampoo is 80% water, your uh, conditioner is as much as 90% water. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of CO2, the bottles, the everything. I just wanted to take something that was pretty bad for the environment, really, and turn it into a force for good. And it's something that you already use every day. I don't want to make another product that you had to buy. I think that that kind of going against the whole principle of it. I want to replace products that you already use every day with something that's going to make the world a lot better, but that you're also going to enjoy using because I know that I know from being in the beauty industry for a long time, people only use products that they like in their hair. They, they just won't. 
there's no they won't convert otherwise they won't convert there's not a status to what's in your shower you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you're going to use what you want to use you might drive a prius because other people will see you driving a prius that might change your behavior a little bit Mm -hmm. but it's not going to change your behavior in shampoo so it's got to work it's got to be good well i actually really liked it one of the things i'm looking at your conditioner now i think it has fewer ingredients than almost any conditioner i've ever seen and yeah, you've got the sodium lactate, glycerin, things that you expect to see, satiral alcohol, hydrolyzed rice protein, you know, nothing crazy from what I'm seeing. I went into the environmental toxicity of every ingredient and looked into it super deeply. Like, I I, I really care about all of that stuff. And I, I tried to, you know... There's only, I think, only one ingredient in all of it that isn't uh, rated like a one or two in the EGW thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think it's EGW. They rate like the toxicity of ingredients in beauty products, mm-hmm. and uh, they do it on a scale of one to five. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, it's all one or twos basically. So. Yeah, my only question really about the ingredients was why there was use of a hydrogenated olive oil and why, yeah, why that would be needed. So what that is, is actually um, a silicone substitute. Hmm. So silicones are used in basically all conditioners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In some form or another, they're used in all conditioners and silicones are basically plastic but instead of mating being made out of long carbon chains they're made out of long silica chains it's really what it is Mm -hmm. and they do break down in the environment um but sometimes quite slowly and it depends on the type and there's just silicones everywhere and i wanted to be a silicone free brand because they're not good for the environment they might not be the worst for the environment but they're definitely not good for it Because everything, like, I think what a lot of people don't think about too is there's two levels to what's good for good ingredients. So there's the level that's what's good for you and your hair, but that gets washed down the drain. Mm -hmm. And nothing that you wash down the drain, basically, that's that small is getting filtered out in the plant. Mm -hmm. It goes through the water treatment plant and out to the rivers and out to the ocean. And so that stuff starts accumulating. And so it's really important. Everything in this is biodegradable. It's, I was pretty shocked at, the amount of stuff that isn't easily biodegradable that's in shampoo and conditioners. Mm -hmm. Like it really shocked me. I was like, I just assumed that it would be, but it's not. Okay. So the question when I ask hydrogenated olive oil, it's unsaponifiables, it says. Hydrogenated olive oil, unsaponifiables. I come from the natural products industry. I know way too much about fat in particular, and you don't want to ingest hydrogenated fats. I mean, that's trans fats, not good for your body internally. So I was curious why it was used in something like this. I get replacing the silicone. I think that makes sense. But it also probably has to be in a solid state, like the fat has to be in a solid state or a more solid state in order to do that. Is that correct? It's actually, it actually is a liquid. And uh, um, I actually... Do you want me to grab? I have the bottle <laughs> that actually is. Sure. So it's, but it's a mulse. It's like a way to emulsify the oil and make it consistent and more shelf stable. But uh, the process of hydrogenation also uses chemicals too. So it's just, uh, it's a, the only thing that jumped out at me. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I don't claim to be perfect on any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like when you're a small scale producer, you can only use the ingredients that are available in small quantities. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's there's a couple things that I would like to change. Out oh, of I'm it. sure. I'm and, sure. Like, uh, and I know. will. But, as time goes um, on, right? Like, yeah. wouldn't it be lovely if you didn't have to use plastic? But if this was glass, I would, might have just cut myself in the shower. <laughs> exactly. For instance, and you know? I, almost, I almost stopped the project, like analysis or paralysis through analysis, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was trying so hard to get around using plastic in the shower at all. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a problem and it's not ideal. But when we come back and look at plastic, at what it is, it's a miracle substance. Like it is amazing. It is incredibly cheap. It is ridiculously durable. It is light. It is flexible. Like you go back 200 years and give somebody a five gallon bucket, they give you their right arm for it. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's stuff that we just throw away. And the so the problem isn't necessarily plastic. It's how much we use and how we use it. Like the plastic in your car, you use that for 20 years. It saves how much fuel, either electricity or gas by being so lightweight? Like there are reasons to use plastic. It is not a boogeyman that shouldn't be used ever, Mm -hmm. but we should be really careful about it. We should really analyze the full cost of it. And that's the thing that's being taken out. We don't look at and how we pay for plastic, charge for plastic, use plastic. We don't look at the full life cycle cost. And if we did, we'd use it a lot differently. And so I think that by being reusable, so they come in plastic the first time mm-hmm. and then cardboard tubes. Yeah. Which you couldn't also put in the shower because they would just fall apart, right? Exactly. So. They'd fall apart. And then you just, you just pop it out. Mm-hmm. Just like a push pop. <laughs> and it's just like a push pop. You pop it out and put it in here and boom. You're good to go. It's good. And so like this, this plastic tube, there's no reason it can't last years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Well, it smells um, really good too. So the user experience is not bad. And also like just want to comment on the fact like this actually the sound of putting the lid back on. It's like it just has a feel that's like it's it's a prestige feel. So I think that you like you actually hit the nail on the head in so many ways when it came to the product design. I think you did a really effective job. Um, and you. I have to admire good product design. I come from product marketing and natural products and supplements mostly, but foods and personal care products as well. And so I just think you did a really good job. I also like that it looks more unisex, like this doesn't look overly girly or male. It's just kind of like in the sweet spot of the middle that I think is really good. And you actually have these icons for how people will fix it. And then pounds saved on the left too. So yeah. um, can you talk about how how much impact you've been able to have already in the way of what trash you've been able to pick up and, um, you know, the types of things that you're working to do as you head forward on that um, corporate responsibility side of things? Yeah. So um, kind of as I was getting ready to launch CBAR, as I was, um, well, as I was contemplating it, I knew we wanted to do something that picked up ocean trash. And so I just started picking up ocean trash around my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and no joke, my sister posted about it on Facebook and her, I have to think about this, her friend's husband's brother-in-law 
reached out to me on Facebook and is like, I saw what you're doing. He lives in the Philippines. I saw what you're doing. There's so much trash here. Can I help? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, we, we hired a crew. We, um, we did the whole thing. And, uh, so to date we've picked up, um, we only did it for a week, that full-time crew, but to date we've picked up about 33,000 pounds of ocean mm-hmm. trash. Um, unfortunately we haven't sold 33,000 sea bars yet, but it'll Look happen. It there. My, my goal is to have, you know, a full-time crew or two working in the Philippines full-time picking up ocean trash. The reason we do it in the Philippines is because about, I can't remember the exact stat, but something like 60 to 80% of ocean trash comes from the Pacific Rim region, um, China, India, Bangladesh, the Philippines, Indonesia, I think are the top five, um, not necessarily in that order. And it's mostly because they have a lot of people who are living in poverty and they don't have good access to waste disposal and frankly, if they did, they probably couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time begrudging them when they're, you know, literally will drink vegetable oil to get calories. Like what am I, who am I to judge them for throwing something on the ground? Right. I'm not going to. And so our goal there is to create well-paying jobs, cleaning up communities in the Philippines. We've done it a little bit. We want to make it full-time gigs for people, Mm -hmm. but it's amazing how much trash there is there and how much they were able to pick up so we can have that twofold impact there improving people's lives and improving the communities uh the one beach that they did clean up and if you looked at it like the before and after pictures as a westerner you'd be like that is still filthy but if you look at the before you're like holy cow they they removed over it was thirty one thousand seven hundred nine pounds of trash from this one beach and uh the locals were like i've never seen it that clean Hmm. And I would consider it filthy still. So you mentioned, though, seeing the plastic problem on Hawaii. And I yeah. think this will resonate with people. Um, you know, we're, as Westerners, we go to places like Hawaii in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, five-hour flight from California, five-hour flight from the next spot pretty much too, right? Yeah. Um, and we kind of have this perception, oh, it, well, if it's not a problem here, then it's not a problem there. But the reality is that uh, it's not a problem in touristic spots on touristic beaches. So when I was on my honeymoon back in 2006, so quite a while ago still, right? I um, landed on Kauai with my new husband and we're staying at this resort in Kauai near the Lihue airport, but you know, uh, oceanfront, they're beautiful and I'm like, well, I really just want to see the sun rise over the Pacific Ocean because I've never seen that before, right? Now you're in the middle of the ocean. You could actually see the sun rise there. Mm-hmm. So on our first night, you know, we could wake up early and it doesn't feel like it's that early because you're totally. from California, right? Big deal. You got three so it's hours. Like, yeah, yeah. So like 5 a.m. feels like eight. Big deal, right? So we're going to hike across this um, resort through a golf course along a frontage road to this easternmost point. And that frontage road is just like a strip of sand on this other side of a chain link fence that abuts the airport, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the strip of sand, a rocky beach, and I I get out there and it's just littered with trash, mostly nets, 
right? So like sea nets, ocean trash, buoys, a lot of uh, shampoo bottles. Um, There were shampoo bottles. I will say that there were shampoo bottles. There was also like detergent bottles, uh, Clorox bleach bottles, a Drano bottle, like uh, all these different types of plastic bottles that get disposed of and that end up in our waters, Um, chip bags, and then left flip-flops and a ton of them. And the reason it was only left flip-flops is because of how the the shape of them would get picked up by the water and they end up oh, on really? that beach. So all the right flip-flops are on another beach somewhere else, but all the left flip-flops were on this beach. And so, you know, I'm seeing all of this and just as the sun's coming up, starting to see the detail of it amidst all these lava rocks. And for me, the impact was otherworldly this is unacceptable. What are we going to do differently? Oh my God. You know, this is just, uh, this would be every beach in Hawaii if it weren't for the fact that they were coupled with tourism and they get cleaned. Right. And so I, um, then had this next moment, which was the, the big travesty of the trip in my mind, because I saw these little tracks leading into the water. I thought at first they were bird tracks. And then I realized that they were sea turtle tracks their voyage from their nest, which was at the back of the beach, to the ocean estuary, had to go over all of these mounds of trash. Yeah. And so my husband and I spent uh, as much time as we could in those pre-dawn hours and into and past dawn kind of clearing a path from the nests that remained to the ocean and then carried out what we could with what water we had left and got back to our resort adventure. But it left a mark. It does. And I think one reason that people don't think the plastic pollution problem is as bad as it is, even in the States, is because they go to beaches that people go to. Exactly. And people, like a lot of people pick up the trash when they see it, which is great. It's fantastic. But if you go to a beach that nobody ever goes to, I don't care where you are. It'll yep. be covered. And anywhere in the world, the most remote places in the world are covered in plastic because those bottles that you were talking about, the shampoo bottles, the laundry detergent bottles, the Clorox bottles, those are a lot heavier duty than like a water bottle or a Coke bottle, for they example. They float too. And yeah. they float a lot longer and they, um, they're a lot more durable. They don't break down as easily. So they're just a lot thicker. And so, mm-hmm. and the other thing that really <clears throat> is important to remember is that we only see like 30% of the trash that goes into the ocean floats. The rest of it sinks right to the bottom and it'll never be seen again. So you think it's bad what floats on top or, and it's even a smaller percentage that ever washes up on land again. I think it's like they estimate like 13% ever will touch land again. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing when you walk these beaches is like 13% of what's out there, which blows my mind. Yeah. Well, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, if you don't blow your mind every week, you're not doing something right. (laughs) I like that. Not the best news to blow your mind with, but we just need to keep on the journey of informing ourselves and pushing for the change that we want to see. Um, And this is, I think, a good step in the right direction. I do have a question with regard to um, how you're tackling 
the challenge of like the CO2 footprint of being a direct-to-consumer brand and shipping each of these things. Like, uh, what does subscription look like? How are you working to tackle that side of the business to to try and minimize impact as much as possible? Yeah, so we do offset our carbon um, for or the carbon from shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, we do pay for that. This lasts about as long as two to three bottles of shampoo typically. Mm-hmm. So that right there is a two to three fold reduction in shipping costs. And then we do encourage people to buy, like when they refill, like to refill a couple at a time and to get, instead of getting one every, every other month or every third month, some people are like, they'll get like two every six months or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what we're finding is that most people it last like two to three months for them, depending on how many people are using it. So it's great to hear that you're working on the CO2 imprint. Now, if there was one thing that you could leave our audience with, like the thing that you want them to remember over everything else when it comes to a conversation we've had today, what might it be? I think the most important thing that I've realized going through this journey is that we need to stop patting ourselves on the back for recycling. Mm -hmm. That's the very least you can do. We need to change how we buy. We need to change what we buy. We need to change how much we buy more than anything else. And I think that's the biggest thing is recycling is not a win. Recycling is the baseline. It's what it's your responsibility for anything that you buy. It's your responsibility to dispose of it properly. Because when you buy that, I believe you make that social contract with the planet. I bought this to use it for myself. It's my responsibility to see that it's dealt with properly. Now, purchasing from brands who make that a lot easier for you, well, makes your life a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that that's kind of the big thing that I've taken away. I used to be really, really anal about recycling, sort everything, wash everything, get everything just perfect as like my contribution. But I realized that that's not a good enough contribution. We need to produce less of it in the first place Mm -hmm. because it's still has a big impact. And so that's kind of my, my takeaway that I hope people realize is that recycling is the least they can do. Well, I think that's a really, really solid point to land with, you know, we need to take more responsibility for the things we bring into our home and then the things that we dispose of. So it's a good point. It's a good reminder. At the same time, pushing for change because the systemic issues are the ones that I think we really need to be concerned with mm-hmm. on the manufacturing side. Agreed. That's the that's the biggest part. The mm-hmm. only thing you can do about that is vote with your dollars. And it's so important that you do. Right. 100%. So I do have a thought on closing. I think I want to remind all of our listeners that you can utilize this third-party resource, which is TerraCycle. And their whole mission is that they will help you recycle anything that you need to dispose of. They will find a way to um, put it into second use or last use. And it can be a challenge. I mean, you do have to commit to buying a box essentially, and then you fill the box. And when it's filled, you send it back to them. But that's one of the ways that really mindful consumers are starting to take more accountability for the things that they bring into their home is collaborating with this third party who takes care of finding a way to recycle just about everything, like even from the comforter on your bed to uh, the plastics that you might use. (laughs) So 
it's interesting that there's an entrepreneurial effort at the tail end of that that will help you take care of those items that you simply can't recycle in your local area. Now, where can people go to find out more about you? Do you have a crazy active Instagram account that's full of hair and growing like hotcakes? I've been down on social media lately. I don't do it a whole lot. They Mm -hmm. can find me on Instagram at cbarcleans. I'm trying to be active on there. But no, I haven't really focused on growing it a lot just because, to be honest, I'm kind of burnt out on Instagram. I spent about 12 hours a day, seven days a week for like five years on it. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. But um, so at Seabar Cleans on Instagram or really any of the social medias, Mm -hmm. but Seabar.com, S-E-A-B-A-R.com is the website. If you want to email me, it's just Greg at Seabar.com. I'm happy to respond to whatever. Um, But that's probably the best way, um, either Instagram or email. All right. Perfect. Now, listeners, I'd like to invite you to act. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community or just going to cbar.com and connecting with Greg and his company on Instagram at cbarcleans. And if you're itching to become a more effective activist, sign up for our newsletter on caremorebebetter.com. You'll receive that five-step guide I mentioned at the top of the hour. I also encourage you to visit our action page to find suggestions for causes and companies that we encourage you to support. You'll find a feature there where I actually did an ocean cleanup and an article on the sorts of companies and third-party organizations that you can support to clean up our oceans and waterways. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 